Hey, welcome to First Church. Like Chad said, my name is CJ. I'm our online connections minister. Glad to get to share with you guys. I want to say a special hello to those who are worshiping with us online in the hub this morning. We know we have people worshiping in Tulsa and Broken Arrow. Even one of my good friends is worshiping with us in Minneapolis, Minnesota this morning. So how about that? So how about we welcome in everybody who's worshiping with us online. We love to be able to do that. So this morning we are wrapping up a series called Reset. And just in this time as a culture, we, we know we could all take a moment to reset. Like we could all collectively take one of those moments where we breathe in deep and then we breathe out and breathe in deep and breathe out. We could, we could do that exercise maybe for the whole sermon and like some of you would feel a lot better after we left here. Um, just a few weeks ago, I got to travel home for a week and see my family. I'm from Kentucky and I love to get uh, just a few days on the farm with my dad and my brother and my sister and my grandma. But while we were there this time, there's a lot going on in our family. There's a, a lot of stuff that is just lingering out there that our family is kind of out of control of really. A lot of stuff that um, if we were to kind of do a little counseling session here today, I would feel a lot better, but you would feel a lot worse at the end of. So um, I was there for a few days to, to reset and while I was there, we were dealing with a lot of stuff. And in the midst of that, my brother has adopted a 10-year-old. And that brings its own stresses and its own worries along as he's raising a 10-year-old who, um, to this point, has not been in a loving home. And, and that 10-year-old's been with us for about a year now. He's been part of our family. And he just came to us and he said, hey, um, I'm ready to follow Jesus. Like, hey, I'm ready to get baptized. So here's a picture of him actually um, right after. His name is Dylan, this little guy. He's awesome. Um, he decided he wanted to get baptized while I was home. And, and we took that moment, and as a family, we went to the church where my dad preaches. There's only about 30 people there on a weekend, and, and we, we baptized him. And afterward, we stood in the back, Dylan and I, and we were drenched wet, and we were soaking wet, and he's really, really cold because the baptistry was pretty cold. And, and as we're standing there, I just thought, this is a new start for him. It's a reset for our family. A, a time where our family can, can focus back in. A time where our family can, can reset on what we're all about. What we've been all about. A time where we can, we can look past all the distractions. We can look past all the things going on around us. And we can just hit reset. And we can recalibrate. We can recenter on Jesus. Most of us need that. The church in Corinth needed that. We've been studying that over the past several weeks here at First Church. We've been studying 1 Corinthians, a book in the New Testament, as Paul just walked through with them the things that were going wrong in their church. I mean, and, and really, if you want to know the truth, a lot was going wrong in their church, and there was a lot of weight because of it. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, if I was to ask you how much this glass of water weighs, you would probably be right in saying it's about a pound. Now, if I was to say to you, I'm going to hold this glass of water for the rest of my sermon, you'd probably think, you're not really going to do that, and no, I'm not going to do that. Um, if I told you, though, I'm going to hold this glass of water for the next hour, it's only a pound, so you know that I could probably do that. But after a little bit of time, I'd probably start to get a cramp in my elbow. Maybe my shoulder would start to cramp. If, if I told you, now I'm going to hold this glass of water for the rest of today into tomorrow, you would know that at the end of that, I would probably need to seek medical help. The glass of water is still a pound, and I'm not going to drink it. But, but here's the truth about holding weight. It's not always about how much it weighs, but about how long you have to hold it. It's not always how much the weight of the glass or the weight of the water, but how long you have to hold that weight. The church in Corinth, they were holding a lot of weight 
a, a lot of weight that we can, we can narrow down into four buckets. They were, they were holding weight because their culture had told them that the things that mattered most were sports and sex and business and academics. And, and so the church at Corinth, they were holding a lot of weight every single day. Now, um, I know some of you guys are starting to get nervous because you're wondering if this garden hose actually works. And it does. And it sprays almost to the back row. Yep. And so they let the online connections guy come out here with a water hose. So I won't spray you guys and I'll try not to ruin any of our equipment. But here, here's what the people at the church in Corinth have done. They, over time, they've bought into the idea about sports. And they've just filled that bucket up over and over and over and over again. They filled it to the brim. Everything in their culture said, if you're good at sports, everything in their culture said, if you can achieve in sports, you are valuable. What would it be like to live in a culture like that? I grew up in Kentucky. The thing I wanted to do the most in my entire life when I was a kid was play basketball for Kentucky. My dreams, my hopes were built around that. And somewhere around 10th grade, they told me I was done growing. And five foot eight kids from Clark County, Kentucky, don't play basketball at Kentucky. Let's take it a stage deeper. I played basketball with a guy in high school and his dad's love and affection came from him being good at basketball and he was worse than I was. What would it be like if we lived in a culture that filled the bucket up and said, here, Hold this, and not just for a few minutes, but for the rest of your life, hold this weight. And that's what they had done. They started to fill up other buckets too. They, they, filled up the bucket, they filled up the bucket of sex. Sex that was not designed, not created in the ways that God had. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about gender because gender was confused. It was diluted in their culture, in their churches. They didn't know how to handle sex. They didn't experience sex in the proper ways. And so they were handed a bucket and they said, here, hold this bucket, hold this bucket that is really heavy. And you know what happens when you hold the bucket for too long? Your arm starts to get tired. You, you, you start to get weaker and weaker and you start to spill the water on other people. You start to spill the consequences on other people. They moved from that into business, into success. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if any of you in the room have ever dealt with the problems that come when all of your life is built on success. When your entire existence is built on whether or not your 401k is big enough or your portfolio is big enough or your bank account's big enough. I wonder if anyone in the room has ever struggled with the weight that comes when your life is built on business. Then one more thing, not, not a bad thing, but a, a misguided thing. They started to build their identity and the identity of those around them on academics. If we're not good at sports and, and if this is out of control and if, if we can't be successful in business, let's just have more academics. Let, let's just be smarter than everyone else. Let's build a resume that says we have more degrees and more letters after our name. And, and they made academics a God. Here's what I would tell you. None of these things on their own are bad. None of these things on their own are evil. But when a, when a culture, when a church is built on these things, they're very destructive. 
And, and so, what does Paul say to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians? Well, he says, Let, let's straighten these things out. And, and in this series, we've been hitting reset, and we've been looking at how Paul did that. that. One big way he did that, and one really important way that he did that, is, is he just took time to say, hey, this church... This church that you are destroying, this church that you are perverting, this church that you are messing up is all about Jesus. So what's he saying in effect? This church, it's all about grace. And so over time, the, the Christians in Corinth, they, they started to get it. And they started to take their buckets and, and they started to dump them, the, the consequence and, and the problems that they had. And God started to redirect their lives. He started to redirect how they viewed sports and how they viewed sex and how they viewed business and academics. And, and over time, the church in Corinth, they got the message and they reset. And, and so, as they reset, Paul decided to write a second letter. And in this second letter, he knew that they were still holding weight. It was just a different kind of weight. He, he knew that they were now holding the weight of what it meant to actually follow, what it meant to actually walk with Jesus. Because here's what some of us think, and here, here's the thing we're going to wrestle with today. Once we give everything to grace, once we, once we leave everything with grace, life doesn't just become simple and easy. Life on this side does not lose all the weights and all the struggles that we carry. In fact, when we leave everything with grace, we pick up some different kinds of struggles, some different kinds of weaknesses. And that's what we're going to talk about today when it comes to Paul. I just want to introduce this for a second. I want to make sure we're clear on this. As we talk about this weakness that Paul has, as we talk about this struggle that Paul has, we want to be so clear, and we want to be so plain to say, it is not about Paul's sin. It's about something that's supposed to be keeping Paul from sinning. Uh, Paul starts in, he's in 2 Corinthians 12, and he's explaining that, that 14 years before he wrote this, God gave him this, this vision, this moment of what heaven was really like. And Paul says, I don't know if I was out of body, I don't know if I was in my body, but I saw into heaven. And then he waits for 14 years to write about that. Let me promise you guys something. If last night I was convinced God gave me a vision or a dream about heaven, if I thought it was in body, out of body, extra body, whatever you want to put on the terms, we would have changed the sermon today. Like, if I thought that I saw into heaven last night, we would have changed this sermon, and I would have called a publisher this morning. Because I would have wanted all of you to know this great revelation, this great picture that God sh has shown me. But so that Paul does not become proud, he's going to explain this in a second, he he's got this weakness. He he's got this suffering going on. The text that we're going to start at verse 7, it says this, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Paul, this like really important guy in scripture, this guy that if you're new to the faith or if you're new to the church, as you read the New Testament, did everything imaginable. He, he led so many people to faith in Christ. He restored so many people to Christ. Paul literally had the lineage, he had the, um, the, uh, the uh, resume to say that he was 
everything that you would need to be to be a strong person. Paul, Paul, he's like the example of faith. He's the guy who said in the New Testament, follow me as I follow Christ. Would you ever think that that guy, in writing to a church that had been struggling for a long time, would start in on this weakness that he has? Hey, guys, I want for you to remain strong. I want for you to remain effective. I want for you to remain in the, in the body of Christ. But hey, I, I'm, I'm your teacher, but I have a weakness. This is not typically what we do. Typically, as, as teachers, as leaders, we don't come out and we, we don't put out on full display weaknesses that we have. But this weakness, this thorn in the flesh that Paul has, it is tormenting him. It is handicapping him. It is weakening him in such a way that he feels like he needs to explain it. He needs to explain it, and as we keep going, we'll see why. Now, this thorn in the flesh, we're not sure what it is, but we're positive it's something physical. Paul has lived a pretty harsh life when it comes to following Jesus. Look at this list of things that Paul says he's gone through. Paul says, once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea, and I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes because 40 was too much, so over time they just did it five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in cities and in deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And this guy, before he followed Jesus, was like top dog religiously. He was, he was wealthy religiously. He had the whole world on a string religiously. And now he's, he's teaching these Christians, hey, Following Jesus is not all roses. Hey, following Jesus, all the weight of the world doesn't go away. Hey, following Jesus, there's weight to this. There's consequences. There's pain in this. And and so Paul has this thorn in the flesh. We're not sure what it is. I I think we can go ahead and jump on into verse 8 when Paul explains what he's done with this thorn in the flesh. He said, three times I begged Hang on to this word begged. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Three times I begged. I think we're, we're getting a clearer and clearer picture of how, how, how painful, how enormous this pain in his flesh is. The word begged there, key in on that. Key in on that idea. This Thorn in his flesh is not simply something that he can take an Advil at night and get over. This thorn in the flesh is not simply something somebody can rub out of his muscles at night. It's not something a doctor can just heal quickly so that he can fall fast asleep. No, no, I imagine this this pain, this thorn in his flesh kept him up at night. And as it kept him up at night, he, he wondered how much longer he could go on with it. He wondered how much longer he could deal with it, how much longer he could handle it. Now, I would guess in the middle of the night, he begged God, take this from me. He he begged God, 
three different occasions, three different times, God, take this from me. Ever been there? Ever been there? It's the middle of the night. No one else in your family's awake right now. None of your friends are awake right now. It's just you and it's just God and you're just begging. I know there are people in this room and people who are watching with our church right now who are begging and have been begging for cancer to be gone. There, there are people in this room and watching online who have been and are begging that this pregnancy would actually go to full term. There are people in our church begging that their marriage will turn around, begging that their children will come home, begging for relief from drug addiction, begging for rest over financial stress, begging, begging that God would finally do, do something. Ever been there? I think uh, Eugene Peterson, he explains this really well when he explains uh, Paul, Paul's verse here in the message translation. Yep, he says it this way. Satan's angels did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. I would say this about our world right now. Our world is collectively pushed to its knees. Collectively, we're at a spot where we, we don't know what else to do but, but be driven down to our knees because we can't hold the weight. Guys, we can't hold the weight of a pandemic. Guys, we can't hold the weight of our, our stresses at home. Guys, we, we can't hold the weight that this life throws at us. And, and over time, the, the longer we live, the more we start to understand we, we can't hold the bucket very long. And so it drives us down to our knees. And here's what I think about our culture. Here's what I know about our culture. Our culture is driven down to its knees, asking, do I give up? Do I give up? Or do I look up? I want to tell you a story about a guy named uh, Don Ritchie. Uh, here's a picture of him. Um, and here's a picture from his home. This is in Sydney Harbor in Australia. And, and he has owned this property. He owned this property for 45 years before he passed away. This view alone would make you think that this was a very valuable, very sought after place to live. But it's not. On average, one person a day goes to these cliffs and commits suicide. On average, one person a day would climb to the top of these cliffs and they would jump off to breathe their last. And as Don lived there for a while, he heard about this and he saw this countless times. He did what most of us would do for a long time. He would pick up the phone and he would call the authorities and he would say, there's somebody out on the cliffs. But as he lived there longer, he knows that didn't work. And so Don here, he would wake up every morning and he'd have his breakfast with his wife. He would go to that window and he would look out and he would scan. And if there were any people on the cliff, whether they were at the edge of the cliff or not, he would go to them. His wife would call the authorities and he would go to them. And it is estimated that he saved 500 lives. Because he would go to these people, very disarming, with a smile and simply say, is there anything I can do for you? And then he would invite them to his home. His wife would make breakfast for them. And he would sit down and share Jesus with them and say, this isn't how it has to be. 
Here's what, here's what I think about our culture. Here's what I think about our world. Our world is driven to its knees, begging for an answer. Begging, someone give the answer. Someone explain this. Someone help us. Much like Paul. We're asking God, God, will you do something? God, will you help in some way? And the truth is, he will. It just might not look like we think it should. Keep reading the text. Second Corinthians 12, 9 says this. Each time I asked, each time he begged God, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. What does, that, what does that mean then? What does that look like then? It looks like every time Paul begged God to take this from him, every time he, he cried out to God and said, God, I'm too weak for this. I can't hold this anymore. I can't do this anymore. God reminded Paul, God reminded Paul of his grace. And he didn't take it away from him. He didn't take it away from him. He just reminded him of what he ultimately needed. He reminded him of what he ultimately was offering him. God was not offering Paul, and he's, he's not offering us life without any kind of weight, without any kind of pressure, life without any suffering. But he's offering all we need. See, when God says, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness, Notice this. This is not just a flippant thing that God says. This is not just a thing that God rattled off so he didn't have to heal Paul. No, no. This is a promise. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Here's what God did for Paul, and here's what he wants to do for us. He wants to redirect our weakness through his grace so that we can have strength. Because weakness infused with God's grace leads us to strength. Um, several years ago now, uh, actually five years ago now, um, one of my good friends um, at the time, he called me up and he said, do you want to go to the Kentucky football game this weekend? And of course I wanted to go to the Kentucky football game this weekend. I was going whether he called or not. But um, when he called, he said, hey, I talked to our scalper because, yes, we had a certain one person we bought tickets illegally from on the street. Yes, I'll admit that in front of a crowd. I don't care. Um, he said, I talked to our scalper, and he has tickets to the new suite at Kentucky. They just remodeled the entire stadium. They built this really nice suite, and he said, he's got tickets for us. If we want them, they're ours. And I'm like, well, that sounds great, but, you know, I mean, at that time, I was an intern in the church and a college kid at, like, 18 years old. I don't have the money for that. He said, no, 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 don't worry. Paid for. You want to go? Yes, I want to go. So we go up to the scalper, and the scalper pulls out this ticket and another one, and he says to him, 1200 bucks for the pair. Like, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not that smart, really. But I understand pretty quickly that's 600 bucks. I cannot imagine spending 600 bucks for this piece of paper. But without hesitation, he says, you got it. Pulled the money out of his pocket, handed it to the scalper, handed me my ticket. Now, that little experience was something else to see. That little experience was like, I'm probably never going to see that again because I'm not ever going to do that. But I have a question. Was this ticket really what we were there for that day? Was this ticket really why we went to Commonwealth Stadium? No. This ticket was only a means 
to get the experience. It was only a means so that he and I could experience something together that we never could experience again. It was only a means to get us past the gate into the game. And and guys, here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that's how we treat grace. Grace is just a a ticket to get us to God. It's just a ticket to get us to heaven. Grace is is just a one-time transaction at baptism. And here's what God's trying to teach us. Here's what God's trying to lean in to us and say. My grace is all you need. See, grace is not a ticket for a transaction. It's what God wants for us to experience. It's what God wants for us to live in. It's what God wants us to grow in. It's what will ultimately, it's what will change our weaknesses. It's what will change our insignificance. It's what will change our hopelessness. It's what will change our joylessness. Grace. Grace is what makes living with a thorn in the flesh worth it. Grace, grace is what brings us strength because ultimately what God is saying is my grace is all you need, which is God saying, I'm all you need because when we look at him, when we look to him, we, we know we're looking at grace. We're looking at truth. What is God saying to Paul? What's he saying to us? Grace is all you need. Robbie Zacharias, a pretty well-known Christian apologist, um, which means he defends the faith, and he could have said that better than I could have, but he recently passed away, and in his very last interview, he explained his life this way. As he traveled, as he spoke to thousands of people, as he led so many people to Christ, here's what he said about his own ministry. He said, there are two things you need for this lifestyle. Strong back, strong vocal cords, the two things that he needed the most in his ministry. He said, I, I have neither. The two things that Ravi Zacharias needed the most so that he could lead people to Jesus. He had neither. He broke his back in a bad accident. If you ever heard him talk, you could tell there was deficiencies with his vocal cords. And if he talked for very long at all, his voice would go out altogether. But here's how he ended it saying, God has shown me in my weakness, his strength is manifested. For many years, I have thought God conquered in spite of the world. But in fact, God conquers through pain, evil, and suffering, not in spite of it. So here's what I want to say to you about about Paul's life and then about our life. And we'll connect it all back to this water here in just a second. What God wants to do is not take away all the pain that we deal with and all the suffering we deal with. As much as we want it to be gone and as hard as it is to hear that, God wants to conquer through that pain, through that suffering, through our weakness. Because the only one who can get glory then is him. Guys, I'll tell you an insecurity that I have and you're going to maybe laugh, maybe not. Um, Guys, I'll tell you, when I know that I'm going to preach, for three weeks before that, I can't sleep. Like, for three weeks before I know I'm going to stand up in front of you all and do this, what I'm doing right now. Like, I am a nervous wreck. Like, my stomach hurts, my head hurts, my neck hurts. Like, I can't imagine doing this. I can't imagine it every time I walk on the stage. I walked on the stage today, and I was hoping 
Maybe, just maybe, Jesus will come back in the next 30 seconds. (laughs) Because I'm very aware of my weaknesses. I'm very aware of where I lack. I'm very aware of this accent that you all are having to cut through right now. I'm very aware of where I've come from and and where I've been. And in the midst of this, in the midst of your life, what, what God is saying is, my grace is all you need. It is all you need because through my grace, through your weakness, through your pain, through your suffering, I'll show up, I'll do something. And at the end of it, it will all be worth it. Now, um, just for a moment, can we go back to the water hose? Um, uh, here, here's what I know that some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but, but you're pretty young. You haven't experienced much life yet. That's true. I am pretty young. And, and really, I haven't experienced that much life yet. Uh, most of you are thinking, like, I've gone through things and seen things and, and heard things and dealt with things that, that you could not put in one of these buckets. Like, there's not enough water for these buckets to hold the weight of the things I've done and the things I've said and the things I've been through. And you're right. But, but here's the thing. God doesn't call us to fill up buckets. He calls us to fill up barrels. Barrels and barrels and, and barrels and barrels. And bring it to his grace. Because for every one of these barrels we could fill up, there's an infinite amount of barrels that we could fill up and slap the word grace on the front to represent the suffering and the pain of this world. God knows that what we carry around is not simply a two-gallon painter's bucket full of water. But he knew enough to know, and he knows enough to know, that, that his grace would never run out, and that there would never be a spot that his grace wouldn't go for you, and that there would never be a spot where his grace wouldn't run to you. And he knew that there would never be a spot that his grace couldn't cover for you. If only we'll bring it to him. If only we'll we'll come to grace, not for a transaction and not for a ticket into something, but to experience grace. That's why Jesus said these words. Jesus said, uh, come to me, all of you who are weary and and have heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest, rest for your souls. Will you find a way out of all of your problems? No. Will you find a way out of all of your suffering? No. Will all the weight that you carry just be gone? No. Come to me. I will teach you. I will redirect you. He'll point us to his grace. Paul ends this letter saying this to the church. I think it's really powerful. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Because the lasting impact of us resetting as a church is that we would see Jesus, that that we would see his grace, that, that we would recalibrate in, that we would refocus in on what ultimately matters that we would believe and we would live that grace is all we need.
Because weakness infused with God's grace always leads to strength. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Father, we are, we are weak. So, Father, we just call out to you today. We, we, we beg you, remind us, teach us about your grace. Father, help us to, to know and to realize and believe that your grace is always enough. Father, we love you. We love your son. We pray this through Jesus' name.